Hello, everyone. My name is Janice King. Welcome to Passioners Podcast, a podcast that tells stories of passionate people who inspire us, and hopefully, you as well. Today's episode is about Mr. Luca Lampariello, a polyglot who speaks English, French, German, Spanish, Swedish, Russian, Dutch, Polish, Portuguese, Japanese, Mandarin, Chinese, Hungarian, and his native language, Italian. He is a language coach, blogger, YouTuber, and a lifetime learner. You can find his stories in various news platforms such as the New York Times, The Guardian, and Babbel. I was very excited for this episode. So without further ado, let's begin. I was pleasantly surprised when you responded because I was probably like 70% sure that you're not going to respond. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm, I've been bombarded by requests and, and, and questions and stuff. So I just, uh, you know, I just decided to, uh, to vet <laughs> the request. But yeah, you, I really like the tone. It depends on the, how the person addresses the whole thing, you know. Oh, like really? The, you know, the, yeah, it, it really depends on how you craft your message. If you mm. craft your message like, hey, uh, give me your time or something like that, it's one oh. thing. But then, you know, it, it, I, I, I kind of remember, I kind of liked the way you, you or whoever wrote to me, I think that was you, right? Yeah. Um, uh, you crafted a message, hey, Mr. Lampariello. <laughs> like uh, you yeah. Me Mr. Lampariello. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I, I've, I've become a little bit stingy with my time, truth be told, but I try to do things that I resonate with more than, you know, anything else. My first question is, when did you become interested in learning foreign languages? That's an interesting question. I got to I got to confess that I, I don't remember as long as I can remember. I think I um, at the age of six, I remember that my uh, my parents decided to hire a tutor from New Zealand. And I remember that we were playing. It was really not learning the language per se, learning English It was just more like playing with words. But I remember that that piqued my interest, you know, that hour that I spent with uh with this uh with this girl from new zealand uh but i would say that the i really got interested seriously interested in language learning at the eight, at the ripe age of 15 when i uh, basically discovered there was an ad that i watched I, I saw on television and basically they were just advertising a course in german for self-learners i've been learning english and french at school and then I told myself, maybe I can learn a language myself, you know, by myself. And then I decided to go for it. And I bought the course and it was great. And I started learning every single day for a year and a half uh, German. And then I went to Sardinia and I met a lot of Germans. And then I discovered that I could actually speak German after a lot of input. And then um, a couple of months after that, a new course in Spanish this time, practically identical to the one I had done for German, had just come out and I decided to go for that language and then I just told myself, you know, I want to learn a bunch of languages. But even back, I remember that in, uh, in middle school I was scribbling down all the languages that I wanted to learn. So it's always been with me, you know, daydreaming about speaking a bunch of languages. I still have it somewhere where I was just writing, you know, uh, I want to learn uh, German and Spanish and, and this and that. But again, at the age of 15, I just, you know, uh, I, I, I realized that languages were, were, would, would be a big part of my life, so to speak. And then professionally, that much later, you know. You said you had scribbled down all of these languages that you wanted to learn. How many languages were there and what languages uh, have you not, I guess, learned yet that you wanted to learn when you were young? I confess that I do not remember exactly the languages that I had listed in there, but I think I, there was at least, okay, English and, and French, I was already learning them at school. I'm pretty sure there was German, Spanish, Portuguese, um, Russian, Chinese, Japanese, most probably. And I ended up learning all of them. Dutch, too, I think. Um, but I always say that it's not I who, you know, choose languages. It's more like languages that choose me. So... In my uh, existential, on my existential path, sometimes I've 
you know, a language came along for whatever reason, either because I had visited that country or because I had met a very interesting person or a, a, a partner, and then I decided to learn that language. That's what I always say. I let languages choose me. I had a plan of learning a bunch of languages, but then every, I told myself that every two years I would learn a language in September, especially because I started learning German in September. There was the beginning, I don't know about the United States, but in Italy we always start, uh, you know, every school year in September. So I started learning in German in uh, September 1996. And then, you know, every September, every two years, I learn a new language. And um, yeah, I ended up learning uh, practically all languages that were on my list, at least as far as I can remember, and more. Because some other languages were not on my list, and I did not expect them to learn. An example is Hungarian. You know, I don't know of a lot of people who learn Hungarian. I remember... My uncle, when I told my uncle, hey, I'm learning Hungarian, he looked at me quizzically and he asked me, why would you learn Hungarian? Nobody speaks Hungarian, nobody wants to learn Hungarian. And I just told him, look, um, I learned it because I was in Budapest. And you always have to remember that no, no matter how small a language is, it still, if you learn a language, you can possibly and potentially talk with millions of people and you're just one individual. So even if you can talk to one person, who speaks that language, in a way you're connecting with the world, you know? So um, I, I, that's why I was very glad that I learned Hungarian and it's really useful for me. I always say there's always some worth in learning a language because sooner or later you're going to be using it. And I used it quite a lot because I tend to go to Hungary a lot and I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. But I, I do see people saying that most people don't learn all of these languages or you know, they are not motivated to learn all of these languages. So maybe they have to pick like one or two that they really want to learn and have to put a lot of time into it. So they, they do think about, okay, if I learn this language, will I get the investments back? I always say that one of the most important things when it comes to learning a language is not figuring out the how. You can figure out the how later. You have to figure out the why. And if you're learning a language and because you heard that it's cool to learn that language or because you're... Um, you know, motivated by ex what I call external reasons, you're not going to learn uh, for a long period of time. Language learning is a marathon. You cannot expect, despite all the claims on the internet that you can learn a language within two minutes, three days, four weeks, or three months. The problem is that learning a language is something that takes, uh, it's, a, it's a cognitive intellectual skill that requires a long time, no matter who you are, no matter what you do. So uh, buckle up, as I always say, because it's a long trip. You're in for a long ride and um, you have to know that since it's going to be a long ride, you have to motivate it to stay on track because if you, if you forever, for whatever reason, you lose track, you lose sight of the final destination, then you're going to wander in the woods and you're going to get lost. So um, I think that not everyone, I'm a, I know I admit it to my own admission, I'm a language buff. So I love languages and I understand that the majority of the, uh, the entire population in the world is not, you know, they, they don't like, they don't love languages as much as I do. But if it comes to, when it comes to learning one language, as I always say, first figure out the why. An exercise that I always give my students, because I am a language coach, um, is to basically visualize yourself in the future. Think five years from now. So don't think in terms of, oh, I want to speak this language fluently. Don't think about... Um, I will be able to do this because this way you're not talking to the limbic part of your brain. But visualize yourself five years from now being able to experience, um, to have experiences in this language, to talk to an interesting person. Visualize something very clear in your mind. Um, I've been learning Greek, for example, for four years. And I jotted down recently in January, actually was uh, the 29th of December 2020, because I always do that. I had this, I jotted down, it took some time for myself, some 30 minutes in, in pure silence, and I jotted down myself. I visualized myself five years from now on a Greek island, and I visualized all the details of speaking the language, interacting with the language, because a lot of, uh, you know, the education system revolves around uh, education, revolves around information, but I think that language learning is emotions, language learning is life laughs, smiles, experiences, and um, and if you um, if you are able to picture that in your mind, because as Einstein used to say, imagination is much stronger than knowledge. We have the power of imagining things that still are not there, but we can make them happen. Then it makes a huge difference. So 
for whoever is going to learn a language, the very first thing that I would do is to visualize yourself in the future, picture yourself speaking that language, living emotions and speaking, interacting with people, and then ask yourself, is this a path I want to pursue? And if that is the case, then you're going to figure out the how, because if you know the why, you're going to figure out the how. Well, if you know the how, but you don't have the why, it's like having a Ferrari without any fuel. You can jump on the Ferrari, you can start, very excited, but then, you know, it just stops dead at a certain point in the path and sooner than later, you know? Yeah, that reminds me of the quote that I, I saw while I was doing the research. Don't just look down, you have to look up and see the forest and not just a single tree. Um, yeah. I think you yeah. have really good metaphor there. You studied electronic engineering in college, which surprised me um, because I thought you'd be studying like linguistic or specific languages. Is there a specific reason why you decide to major in this instead? Um, yes, there is. I, uh, you know, my father, like uh, a lot of Italian fathers, maybe this is a, a tradition in other countries, so I'm not sure. But coming from the southern part of Italy, he was very proud of, you know, a son who would more or less do whatever, what, what he did. He was a mathematician and he was, he was an engineer. But first and foremost, I think he was a math mathematician, he loved, loved mathematics. And I remember he told me, Luca, if you become an engineer, you're going to find a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of possibilities for, for an engineer, etc. And, um, and I decided to pursue this career pushed by my father, but also because truth be told, I like mathematics, I liked physics, I liked engineering, and I do not regret a thing. I, I was very happy to go to university and learn a bunch of things. I always say that an engineer knows how to solve problems. This is what they told us, right? When you get out of here, you won't remember mathematical formulas, but you will remember the skill of solving problems. And this has been very handy because now I do some sort of language engineering, so to speak. So I combine language learning and engineering because I always create uh, processes in, in my mind on how to do things. I'm very technical in this regard when it comes to the acquisition of a foreign language or the acquisition of multiple foreign languages or education in general. I like, as I told you, I'm big on learning how to learn. And so I never regretted that and I never complained that my father in some way pushed me towards that direction. Uh, I always thanked him. I'm always um, grateful that this happened. But there is a point in my life where I told myself, this is not working. So, for example, I was I started working at a, the physics lab, uh, the laboratory at the university. It was physics, you know, experiments, running experiments and stuff. And then I went to Paris because my girlfriend, I was pursuing a PhD either in California or staying in Europe. Uh, and so I, either I was following a career, like pursuing a career, engineering career in, in the United States, or follow my heart, as they say, and go to Paris. Because my ex-girlfriend was from Paris and she told me, if you go to California, we're not, we're not gonna see each other anymore. So I opted for love instead of a career. And then I found myself in Paris, it was snowing, I still remember this moment that was kind of a breakthrough moment in my life. And I remember that I was a little bit lost because I had decided to go to Paris. I did not really know what I wanted. I had finished university, but there was a voice telling me, that I did not want to be an engineer. I did not work. Uh, I did not want to work as an engineer. And all of a sudden, uh, maybe God, maybe something else. You know, <laughs> um, I received an email of a of a Hungarian guy who had watched my YouTube videos. So that was in 20, 2010, and I had started my YouTube channel in on the twenty second of May two thousand and eight. So it's been like a year and a half. And this guy asked me, hey, um, do you want to be my Italian teacher? I said, sure, why not? I, I, okay, I'm all in for it. But I, at, at the moment, I did not know exactly how to do that. And I always say in life, you got to try things. So we, we, a lot of us, are we experience this obstacle of either we, we, we feel fear towards the unknown we're always like, oh, this is something I've never done before. Maybe I'm going to be a disaster. Or the imposter syndrome. Who am I to teach? Who am I? Am I qualified to do that? But then I, I just told myself, you know, this was the moment I was looking for. And I started doing that. And then I started giving interviews on on the Internet and more and more people advertising my services. And more and more, more, and more people were just, um, you know, taking lessons. And I just figured out with time, I figured out how to do it. And it got better and better because I believe that the more you do things, the better you learn. And I realized 
a bunch of things. I realized that the uh, education system in general is structured in a certain way, but if you learn to think outside of the box, you're going to greatly speed up the way the you know the way you live your life and the quality of your life. Most of our beliefs, most of our limiting beliefs are just in our head because either our family, our peers, or our society and school has taught us to think this way. And then I just realized I can be whoever I want. I can do whatever I want. And everybody can. It's not just me. I was fortunate enough that I'd made a YouTube channel that, of course, gave me more possibilities. But the truth is, you, me, we can, whoever, the, the man walking down the street can start a YouTube uh, YouTube uh, uh, channel right here and right now to talk about whatever he wants. And that's the beauty of the uh, of the time we live in. You can literally craft your life. So yes, I started as a language as a as an engineer, and probably without the internet, I would be probably an unlucky, miserable engineer working someplace in Europe. Well, now I'm living my life uh, on my own, you know, uh, my own volition. I just decided to uh, to live the life that I wanted, and I'm very happy that I did. And my father at the beginning was a little bit disappointed. He did not understand this choice. It was a courageous choice, it was courage. It, it took guts to decide to go for one, the unknown option instead of the known path. But then he understood that I was very happy and he just was happy for me as well as my parents. And now my family is very proud of what I have achieved and I, what I hope I will achieve in the next 20, 30 years. The measure of happiness, I read it somewhere, I really liked it, is the amount of days when at the end of the day you tell yourself this was a good day this is happiness it's not it's not uh, being rich it's not cars it's not traveling uh, and and seeing places well that's that's beautiful but it's you it's in it's in you happiness is about making smart choices and pursuing what you love if you want to please everyone you will not please no one so you won't necessarily disappoint someone but the most important person is you not others even as much as you love your parents the most important person is you and I figured that out later I figured out much later in life actually uh, when I was almost 30 I realized this is not the path that I want to take the, the, the path I want to take is um, languages communication uh, you know and that's what I, I, I did but I see a lot of my countrymen and a lot of people around the world being very unhappy about what they do and that's the worst thing that can happen. In Stanford, uh, Steve Jobs used to say, "Love, he, he, I love that speech. I don't know if you've, if you've watched, I've listened to it. He says something that is really profound. He says, um, work is going to take a good chunk of your life. So you have to do what you love. Otherwise, you're going to be miserable for the rest of your life. And I'm very glad that I decided to opt for a path that was probably more complicated uh, because I still did not know anything about, and I was lucky enough to make a channel to create a channel that then later was successful uh, but even if the channel hadn't been hadn't turned into a you know a successful channel I would have pursued this path anyway even with little money because you know as they say better to do something with little money than doing something with a lot of money and you hate and so going off from that you talked about how you structure your life and how you structure your day and you briefly talked about that you feel happy because you were happy that day and that's kind of a method to see how happy you are in life. And so could you tell us what your daily life looks like and how you structure your day? Sure, uh, I'd be happy to. Um, so basically, I made it a, a rule to wake up early in the morning between 5 and 6. Now I'm waking up a little bit uh, later than that, but generally, I the ideal day would be 5:30. I wake up, and the, the very first thing I, I do is to make my bed because it gives a sense of uh, direction. And there's even a book that talks about it: "Make Your Bed" or something like that by a marine. And then I have breakfast, and then you know this is precisely what I do every single day. I've built my morning routine. I think that there's a lot of value in having a morning routine. And then I have breakfast. Then I sit down and I do journaling. Journaling is basically thinking about um, everything that happened the day before. I divide my life into nine main areas. So, for example, I write uh, when it comes to health. Health is the very first thing. So I always have the same thing. Like. I briefly write what happened yesterday, some, some important things, a few lines, and then I always go like, oh, what happened when it comes to health? 
What happens when it comes to work? What happens when it comes to uh, productivity? What helps when it, what, what happened when it comes to um, uh, or organization, a family, love, etc., etc. And I have this every single day, and it helps me be much more aware of the person I am. So I've built a system where every day I look back at the previous day, and I uh, basically learn. I always ask myself, what is that tiny thing that you can change today that can make tomorrow better? And and uh, after journaling, after some twenty minutes. After dumping all my ideas into a Google Doc, then I do meditation for 10 minutes. I always do this in this order because if I meditate when my mind is still full of stuff, I cannot concentrate. Then I do breathing exercises. So I've realized how important breathing actually is for your uh, health, for your body and mind for five minutes. And then I do workout. I spend some 30 minutes, 40 minutes jumping, doing stuff or doing strength exercises. And after that, I go and take a shower. And when I take a shower and then I dress, I always uh, build the habit of listening to a podcast in Polish. So one trick that I've, one trick or just one habit that I have is to associate language learning habits with other habits and in, you know, connecting them with certain activities. So for example, music, workout music, but then uh, as soon as I go and uh, take a shower, I will be listening with my AirPods directly. Um, I, will, I will listen to Polish in particular, then I will get dressed, I will listen to Polish, and as soon as I finish Polish, I will do Greek for 30 minutes. So I stack all these habits, so it's, it's become automatic for me from 5 o'clock until basically 5.30 until 9, I do certain things. After Greek, I do 30 minutes of reading, and I divide my reading sessions into, I have morning, after lunch, and before going to sleep, 30 minutes, three different books every single day. So the first two and a half hours are dedicated to me, to my health, body, mind, etc., etc. Then at nine, I start basically working, doing what I call deep work, which requires a lot of mental um, energy because it's about planning, managing my team, uh, writing articles, writing scripts for videos. So it's kind of creative work that requires a lot of mental energy. And then I have lunch, always more or less at one, two. Then I read. I have this 30-minute section of reading. Then I take a, you know, we do siesta. People make fun. Uh, a lot of people, not, not a lot of people, but some people make fun uh, of Italians or Spaniards for, for having siestas. But actually, it's called biphasic sleep. I've, I've figured out that that's actually a very good thing for your body, too. And that was what ancient, uh, you know, people uh, used to do back in the day. Um and then I do some more work, but that's kind of a different work. It's more like, um, you know, organizational work that requires less mental energy. And after that, if I have time, I still will do some more like Hungar uh, Hungarian or Danish. These are the three languages I'm, I'm learning, actively pursuing right now. And then, and then I have a dinner, and then after dinner, I take a walk. You know, without my phone, I take a walk thinking, and I, I have... Uh, post it uh, with me and I jot down all the, the ideas that come. I let my mind, uh, you know, wander and meander to have some more creative ideas or ideas about the world or how to do things better. This is from Monday to Friday. Then Saturday and Sunday is a little bit, it's a little bit different because Sunday, Saturday is my day off, so to speak, where I try to take some time for myself, but I still learn languages in the morning. But then I take, walk, I take a walk or see my friends, etc., etc. And Sunday... Every Sunday, I spend, spend some 20 minutes looking back at the entire week in order to build the next week. So I take, I take a look at what happened every week and I ask myself for each section of my life, how can I improve? What, what worked and what didn't? For example, if I um, gained some, some weight, I'm asking myself, am I eating too many chestnuts or too many nuts? Am I sleeping too little? And by doing that, by having this weekly check, I figured out I figured out a lot of things and how to tweak things so that I can get better and better. Of course, it's kind of an intensive routine, uh, but it only takes 20 minutes and it made me an extremely aware person. Like I'm very aware of my feelings, my emotions, um, my, uh, my day, how I use my time, uh, the things that go well and the things that don't go well. And I'm hopefully getting better and better with the way I, I lead my life, so to speak. Wow, 
So usually most people are very focused on doing, like doing the tasks, but it seems like you are very heavy on planning and reflecting and you, you incorporate that every single day and every week. Yes, um, I'm, planning is one of the most important. For, what every, for one minute spent on planning, you gain 10 minutes in doing. So just to give you an example, when it comes to, uh, if, you, if you wanna be efficient in life, you have to plan somehow. Of course, you can do stuff, but the problem is that if you do too much and you plan too little, you end up using your time very poorly. Just to give an example, I've known a lot of lot within the language learning world. I've learned a lot of uh, of I've heard of a lot of teachers who are on these platforms offering services, for, for example, one-on-one sessions, etc. Their time, their 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 time schedule is full because they work all the time, but they work for little money, so they never take the time of thinking. Wait a second, I'm working way too much for way too little money. Let me plan on how to do things uh, in a different way. And planning means to sit down in silence, honestly telling yourself the truth about where you stand and where you want to be and, 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 start, and start organizing your life. Start telling yourself, wait a second, I'm giving too, way too many lessons. And when you spend too much time on doing and you spend little time on, on planning, uh, well, then again, the problem is that you, you are very busy, but I always divide it, uh, your work into meaningful and busy. Busy does not mean meaningful, you know? Uh, busy knocks on your door every single day. Meaningful does not knock on your door. For you to look for meaningful stuff in your life, you have to go and be proactive about it because busy always knocks on your door, calls on your phone. There's always something that you have to do that keeps you busy, but th stuff that is meaningful, how to change your life, pursuing the things that you wanna do, um, organize your time better, getting things done, Think about, for example, the amount of time that people look at their phones consuming being, you know, their time being devoured literally by social media. And if you do not take the time to think about how much time that is, how much time social media is actually taking uh, from, from you, then you will never realize it because you were sucked into the habit, the, the rabbit hole. While I know despite the fact that I know that these are black holes, social media apps, whatever, I just started resisting. I started telling myself, okay, how much have I actually used um, Instagram or uh, Facebook, et cetera, et cetera. And I started learning how to plan my time uh, better, to stay away from social media, not turn the phone. But you have to, to look for the meaningful, to find the meaningful, you have to sit down, plan and think. If you keep doing, your life is going to go by and at the end of the day, you'll realize, oh, I've, I've done a lot, but I have done nothing. I don't know if it ever happened to you that you do a lot, but then you say, at the end of the day, I've done a lot, but I haven't done nothing actually. It, you know? Happens to me all the time. If I feel like I need to plan something and it's going to take a lot of work because it's a meaningful task, I procrastinate by staying busy. I, I completely agree. Yeah. So, uh, it, it's, you know, that's, that's the main problem that you can keep yourself busy, but meaningful is different. So that's why, um, I mean, I, I, I can spend time on, um, you know, doing stuff that it's not necessarily productive, like, oh, I'm not learning a language, but even taking a walk is something productive. And, uh, you know, instead of spending 20 minutes looking at, at staring, glaring at your phone. So, um, so I'm trying to fill my day with things that are meaningful. Sometimes that can be just busy. Sometimes busy knocks on your door every single day. So there will be something that you have to do because it needs to be done. But the things you want to do, you want to do, not the things you have to do, that's a different matter. So when you structure your day doing things that you want to do instead of things you have to do, or at least if the majority of the things you do is things you want to do. That's a completely different ballgame. That's what uh, what happened to me when I started. For example, um, I realized I myself was very busy giving one-on-one -on -one sessions because this is what I do as a language coach. And I started being very stingy with my time. We we're talking about it before, and I started saying, telling myself, okay, what I want to do in order to build my business, I need to have days when I just can sit down and I can work on my projects. I couldn't do it before because I was too busy giving lessons. So I told myself, 
let's sit down, let's restructure the whole thing. It took me months, so I made decisions. I'm reaping the benefits right now because the decisions you make right here and right now will reverberate it over the you know the the, the rest of your life. You can see the actually the the consequences of your of your decisions months after that. And I'm seeing them now. I have much more time because I decided to work basically just on Fridays. So, and in order to do that, I had to think about what do I, what do I have to do in order to, to work less? I have to raise, raise prices. So I raised prices and by raising prices, I risked a little bit. That was a, a gamble. Uh, and then I just basically started working just on Fridays. So I have the same amount of money uh, because this went well and I have more uh, clients than I can handle and this created the men the space the mental physical space that I needed in order to take my business to the next level and starting creating passive income this is what a lot of people do not do they go like oh I'm on this path I'm just I have this career I have this job this is what I'm gonna be doing that's it well there's so many other possibilities nowadays um, that if you're unhappy working in in corporate business or whatever, there's always a way out. There's always a way in which you can tell yourself, I want to build the life, the life that I want. And you can do it. It's just everything is in your in your mind and you have to take the courage of uh, taking the leap and you have to, the, to have the intellectual courage of reading, getting educated, being curious because curious people are ultimately... Um, what makes the world spin and what makes the world work, I think, ultimately. Yeah, you have a lot of great points from the response that you had. And so I have a few questions going off from that. The first one, you talked about social media and how people are sucked into social media and are not aware of how many how much time they spend. As a public figure, you know, you're on YouTube, you have your blog, you're very involved in the public and internet sphere. How do you control your time in social media? Like, do you not look at the comments section or do you have specific time in the day when you tell yourself you're going to be working in social media and all of those stuff? Great questions. So the first thing is that um, let's let's divide the let's take a look at the different social media uh, apps, for example, WhatsApp. Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Since I work with YouTube and Instagram, what I do is that I made it uh, a rule not to turn off, not to turn on my phone and not to turn on any social media at least until 1 p.m. So 1 p.m. means that I wake up at 5.30 and until 1 p.m., no distractions whatsoever. So I'm working on rebuilding my uh, focus, I realized that unfortunately my, my concentration, not only my concentration, this is like the biggest luxury that we have. The, the, the two most precious things we have are time and focus. And these are the things that pe people have all the information in the world. You might've noticed that on the internet, you can find everything you want nowadays, one click away. The problem is that the internet is built, the entire system, social media, but not only social media, Google itself, they're built around this, um, you know, dopamine. So basically, the fact that you grab your phone 100, 200, 300 times a day is because your brain, they know. Engineers, I don't know if you know this, but engineers in, in Google, they have figured out how to hack your brain. And uh, the, the best ways, unfortunately, it's very difficult to stay away from that, even if you are conscious of it. I recently watched The Social Dilemma. I don't know if you watched it on Netflix. They talk about that. And the best way is to basically re relearn to focus by creating entire moments, entire stretches of the day where you have no contact with your computer. And when you're using your, uh, your computer, if you're tempted and you open, you know, I'm pretty sure you, this happens to you as well. You're, you're working. Oh, let me tab. Let me open. Let me open Facebook. Let me open this. This is automatic because you know, we've been hacked in a way. The best way is, is called brute force, the brute force method. And that's, that's install apps that keep you from, that keep you away, that keep you from opening these apps. So there's, if you, if you, if you type, for example, apps to avoid using Facebook at, or that block you from using Facebook or any social media, you can install them and they will let you use Facebook just at night. You decide the time. That's the best way. Then you get used to it. At the beginning, you suffer. 
but then you get used to it. And if you do not do that, you will be a slave for the rest of your life to this stuff. Uh, you know, there's a moment where we have to wake up. Even people working that were working at Google, Facebook, etc., realize the damage that this is doing to society, to the human brain. And so they, they are taking, you know, taking a stand and saying, look, you should do this and you should do that. They give you advice. But basically, um, if you do not want to, uh, unless you use Facebook and, and YouTube, I use them. So I cannot, if, if it were for me, if I did not work with this stuff, I would, I would take everything down. I would not use any of this stuff anymore. But since I have to use it, I just told myself I have to create, um, you know, happy islands of not, of no social media. And, and that's what I did. I, I basically have uh, set certain things. For example, on Thursday, I publish my YouTube video every Thursday. So I will get, you know, for 15, 30 minutes, answer your fans. So that's the answer your fan a section, right? That's for 30 minutes. But then I turn it off. And then that's it. I mean, then I can, I have certain times of the day or of the week where I do that, but it's, I don't mindlessly go on YouTube and, and just do that. And also another piece of advice, if you go on YouTube, if you use YouTube, try to build the muscle, the, the you know, the focus muscle, as I call it, to watch one video in, on, on, on full screen, because if you don't, you always have the column on the right that is telling you that's, that's been, it's been conceived that way. Oh, let me click on this and let me, because the more time you spend on YouTube, the more, uh, uh, you know, YouTube makes money. That's how the system works. And then you ask yourself, oh, it's, it's 8 PM. You know, I've been watching this stuff for three hours. So that's how I've learned 14 languages. I, I, when people ask me, how is it possible you speak 14 languages? You you learn 60 books a year. It's because I decided that my time is so precious that I am very, I'm very, um, structured i'm very strict when it comes to using my time uh correctly or correctly in in a, in a meaningful way or a, a, a way that is meaningful for me let's say so after 1 p.m you can't watch anything and after 1 p.m you can pick any time of the day before you go to bed to what have 30 minutes if i'm understanding that correctly well after so before before 1 p.m before uh before 1 p.m i cannot I should not, sometimes I do, but I should not use WhatsApp, uh, any, any social media. After that, uh, if I go running, for example, I can chat with my friends on WhatsApp. Mostly I call, I call directly without using WhatsApp, I call. And after 9 p.m., all screens are off. So another thing that is messing up with people's time is that the fact that we're all sleep deprived, we don't sleep well, we are not conscious of it. Because you can tell yourself, oh, but I slept for eight hours. But how do you know? Yeah, you know the time, the amount of time. But do you know about the quality of your time? Caffeine and also screens like blue light. Uh, so after 9 p.m., I just decided after 9 p.m., if, if I stay at home, always reading books. That's what I do. For 9 p.m., reading book, books for one hour. You know, when you're reading a book, you start dozing off. Uh, that doesn't happen um, with your phone. When you, so many of us, the very first thing they do at night, they ha they go to bed with your phone, and they wake up looking at their phone. So that's the worst thing you can do. If do you do that by any chance? You wake up and you look at your phone first thing in the morning, or you don't? It's my goal to not look at my phone, but I do look at it when I go to bed. I can't help myself. Yeah, I know. I, me too. I, I find it very difficult, but I had to force myself not to do that because it was very strong. So. And I failed a number of times. Now it's getting better. Sometimes I fail again. I'm not saying that everything is, is going uh, perfectly or smoothly, but you know. But I I try. I always believe that you know if today is better than yesterday, then even if it's just a small, tiny, incremental change, then that's that's great. One thing that is different was about reflecting your day the day after, because usually people reflect at the end of the day, and then the next day is like a whole different day. So they kind of have a separate, this was yesterday and now it's today. But it seems like how you scheduled your schedule is that it's a continuation. It's a like yesterday ended, but I'm going to reflect it the next day. Is, is there a reason why you structure it that way? Well, I believe that imagine life is like reading a book. When you read a book and you live your life every single day, you don't see the letters. But the more this, when when the book starts, you know, when you start reading, it take when you take some distance, you can start actually seeing the entire page, right? 
And um, this is what I do when it comes to reflecting upon my life. I have a system where I briefly talk about, you know, I really literally write about what happened the previous day. Then I have a system where I write, uh, I take a look at the entire week. Then I have a system where at the end of each month, I take a look at the entire month, then every three months, and then at the end of the year. So I have this system where I've realized that with the system in place, I'm actually able to gain perspective over the things that I do. And it's amazing what you discover just by taking a look at, at three months, you know, oh, this is what I've been doing. People live by the moment, people live by the day. They seize the day, so to speak, but there is value in looking back over a longer stretch of time because you are able to gain more perspective about the things that happened in the past. If you take a look at, at the past, um, with the with the idea of learning from it, then it's great. If you're if you're looking at the past just to dwell in the past, you're nostalgic. Oh my God, I wish I could be somewhere else because oh, there's a pandemic, uh, and I wish I could go back in time in 2017 when everybody was happy. That's useless. It's a useless exercise. But when you take a look, when you when you take the time to write or to think or to ponder, uh, you know, to reflect upon what happened the week before, like for an entire week two weeks or for three months, then it does have value. So I've structured the system at the end of the year in, in the last three to four days of the year, I took an entire, I took a, a I took a, a look, took a glance of what, how the entire year unfolded. And I'm very glad I could do that because I keep track of everything. I'm a very meticulous person. So I jot down every single thing on my Google calendar. I can go back three years from now and look at what happened. And I do that on and off, you know, once a year. I look back and, and I can see everything that I did. And plus I have a journal. So I can, whenever I want, I can reconstruct. I have a journal, my food log, my uh, normal, you know, log, log book, my journal. And then I have the Google calendar that where I centralize everything. And I can, this allows me to look back and, and, and see my life unfold, you know, in, in the past. It gives an, an extra dimension to the way I live. So you talked about how you reflect your life, which was so special, but could you tell us how you now plan your life? Do you have a daily plan, weekly, monthly, and kind of like your life plan? How do you plan? I got a plan for everything I told you. For, first of all, at the end of each year, I, I visualize myself one year from now, like from one year from there. So <clears throat> I did it last I, I did it last year, and I literally jotted down two, two pages of how my, the ideal day, my ideal day is going to look like. So from the moment I wake up, every single detail, spend two or three pages. So already by visualizing the future, I'm building it in a way. And when people say, oh, it's, it's, it's not true, come on, this is BS. And I always say, no, actually you craft, you shape your own world by imagining it and by wanting to, to, to pursue that. That's the very first thing. So I have every year I visualize myself. So I give myself a direction. Where do I want to be one year from now? Who, I want, who do I want to stand for? What are my values? What am I going to do? What are my habits? And I really I visualize that in detail. Then after that, I plan. So I have a weekly planner. Every week I have for the, the various areas of my life, every Sunday I decide how to plan the week. So I put everything into Google, um, uh, Google Calendar and I, have, I, I, use an, I use time boxes. So I always know Fridays is, is students, students' day. Then I have, uh, you know, it's divided in colors. So I basically have Monday to Friday, deep work, fitness, languages, and then Saturday and Sunday is like meeting with friends, is having experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So I basically plan every week. Then at the end of the month, I look back and I plan the, the what are the three things I want to accomplish for the following uh, month. But if you, you see, everything is works, unfolds within the biggest picture of the year. So I always take a look at what I want to become, who I want to become. It's not about what I, what I want to do, it's who I want to become. That, that defines my actions. So who do I want to become one year from now? What, who is Luca, who's going to be, uh, who's, who's Luca going to look like, think like, think, think about, et cetera, et cetera, at the end of the year? That defines the actions that I, I want to take or undertake. And that in turn defines the habits. So I, I literally, you know, think back 
And uh, this is how I structure the entire year. And it works. I've been doing that for uh, the last two years. And my life is getting better and better and better. And I get excited every day. I wake up super excited. You know, 5.30, wake up and what's in it for me today? And literally, and, it, and I, I really, you know, when people talk about what does it mean to be happy, happy, happiness for me is when you wake up and you're pretty excited about the day and when you go to bed and you're excited about the next day, you know? As a wrapping up questions, I have two questions. The first one is um, when you're learning a language, you, you talked about how you try to imitate the other person from native speaker. Is that how you do it? And uh, you, in an article I read, you talked about how you try to do that when you're young in learning English and, and your friends like made fun of you because you had this like uh, native sounding accent. And mm -hmm. so how do you go about kind of like feeling awkward about it, trying to imitate a native person? That's my first question. And my last question is, could you give us a few book recommendations that um, have influenced you greatly? In, in making you become the person you are today. Great, okay, so uh, I'll try to be brief because this is, uh, you know, I'm very passionate about this stuff, so. So the first thing uh, about speaking a foreign language with a, a native sounding accent or a native-like accent, because I believe you never speak exactly like a native, you can get close but not exactly like a native, I would say that the very first thing that a lot of people disregard or don't even know about, and that's also in the education system in general, is the fact that psychological factors are more important than deliberate instructions. So we tend to, you know, there's a flurry of interesting YouTube videos and courses about reducing your accent. The reality is that um, if you want to get, a first, if you want to speak a, a language almost like a native, you better start from the get-go to, to and care about sounds. But the most important thing is that, unfortunately, there is a psychological factor that is called uh, Krashen's filter. Krashen is this famous linguist who talks about the fact that we all have some sort of filter in our brain, obstacle, it's kind of a wall that you have to jump, right? And um, we all belong to a tribe. When we were born, you were born in Korea, so your tribe is Korean. I was born in Italy, my tribe is Italian. So what happened when I was in school and I was starting speaking more and more with this American sounding accent, and it, what happened is that I, I felt some social pressure from my peers, from schoolmates, because they were, uh, it's not, they were mocking me, not for the fact that I was sounding nasal. Well, I, I, I did sound nasal to them because Italian is not nasal. But I think that uh, subconsciously, they were bothered by the fact that I wanted to sound different from them. So I wanted to belong to another tribe. So we all have this kind of filter that keeps us from actually sounding like, um, like a foreigner. And uh, this is what Krashen uh, underlines. He says, adults, adults can actually speak a language properly. They just decide not to because of social pressure and because of other psychological factors. He wrote a very interesting um, piece that you can find for free, you can download it very easily, which is called A Conjecture About Accent and Second Language Acquisition by Stephen Krashen. So if you write conjecture about accent or something along those lines, but I think it's enough. Conjecture about accents <clears throat> and, and second language acquisition, really interesting, very short piece, a couple of pages, explains very well, illustrates very well the point I'm trying to make here. It's a psychological factor that's really important. So when I started learning English uh, back in the day, some 25 years ago, 30 years ago, I don't remember, I really wanted to blend in. I really wanted to sound like an American. I really identify myself with the culture. I sucked all the information that I could. I was watching tons of American movies. I wanted to be like an American. That is what ultimately pushed me to wanting to, to you know, to... Uh, to speak better, to refine the way I was speaking, refine my accent more than deliberate instructions. Then, of course, I was very receptive to all the feedback, all the feedback that I got along, you know, uh, by my teacher, by my friends. Every time that I made a mistake or some somebody corrects me, bring it, bring it on. Just correct as much as, as as you want because that's that's great. So to me, that's the first thing. Um, it's Tackle languages, tackle pronunciation from the from the get-go, from the very beginning. Be interested in that and identify yourself with the culture because if you don't, you can try, but if you don't, at, at the unconscious level, you can get as many instructions uh, as you want. You can work as, with as many great tutors or instructors and gonna cut it, as they say. So uh, that's the, the, the first thing. As far as books, interesting books that changed my life, well, 
I have, I have, I have a lot of them. So maybe you can hear me if I do this, because I can take a look directly. This is easy. One great, fantastic book that I read is Peak, The Science of Expertise by Anderson. And this is a great book because it talks, uh, illustrates, um, you know, it just dispels all the myths about being a genius. It explains how geniuses are made. They're not born from Mozart to, to Einstein, you know. They learn how to, well, Einstein might be an exception, the quintessential genius. But apart from Einstein, um, it explains how hard work and smart work really makes a difference. That's called Peak the Science. Of, uh, of expertise. Then another book that is amazing, and I cannot see it here, I see it here. It's an amazing book, it's the best book I read in the last five years. It's called Your Brain at Work by David Rock. It's a surprising, I didn't expect this to be this good, and this, this is a game changer when it comes to work, using your brain. It explains, it's the very first book that explains things. It has a very peculiar structure and you should read it to understand why. But most of all, it was so amazing that I decided, as I told you, to make a summary in a special way. So I keep the summary in the book and it's just, it's just mind blowing. Uh, these are just for, you know, neuroscience. Um, then, I mean, I, I can tell you this, every book I read, uh, every book I read changes my perception of things. Another great book is Emotional Intelligence by Daniel Goleman. I don't know if you ever heard of it. And uh, and then I have I have a lot of other books here. There's another one. Well, now I can't I can't really see all of them. There's another one which is great. It hasn't changed my life, but I would advise. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Ultra Learning, Scott Young. It, it, it really depends on, on the kind of books. Um, I mean, when it comes to learning, um, The Truth About How We Learn, Benedict Carey. This is another amazing book. The Truth About How We Learn by Benedict Carey. It's just, uh, it's just an amazing book. And then there's other books that changed my life. Eckhart Tolle. Uh, I don't know if you ever heard of Eckhart Tolle. The Power of Now, you know. So Eckhart Tolle is another, uh, it's, a, it's a game changer uh, from another perspective. It's not about learning, it's more about being. Uh, and I have hundreds of books. I read, I read at least 50, 60, quantity doesn't matter, but I read a ton of books every single, um, every single day. Another book that I would advise, but this is in French, unfortunately, is Technique pour gagner du temps. Technique, seven techniques to, uh, to gain, uh, to, to save time, it's a great book, but I think it was written in French. It was never translated into English, so that's a good that's a good uh, reason to learn French. To learn more about Mr. Lampariello and other passioners we have interviewed in this podcast, and to see behind the scenes of how we create each of our episodes, follow our Instagram at Passioners Podcast. This episode is researched, edited, and produced by Janice Kang. The episode art is by Mara Heek. Social media photos and descriptions are by Claire Hems. We use original music by Chiazwa Jilla. Passioners Podcast tells the stories of passioners and their journeys. My name is Janice Kang. Thanks a lot for listening. <laughs>